welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Namaste and good evening everyone. I, Sunidhi Agarwal, Senior Research Assistant at IMPRI, Impact and Policy Research Institute, Prabhav, Evamiti Anusandhan Sansthan, New Delhi, extend my heartiest welcome to you all to IMPRI hashtag web policy talk. Today, we are gathered here for our special talk, the state of earnings in India, the crisis of inequality amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. which is being delivered by Dr. Anjana Thampi under the series, The State of Employment and Livelihood, Hashtag Employment Debate. This talk is being organized by IMPRI, Center for Work and Welfare, along with Counterview. We are fortunate to have Dr. Anjana Thampi as the speaker of the session and Dr. Priyanka Chatterjee as the discussant of the session. It is my privilege to introduce you to the speaker of the session, Dr. Anjana Thampi, who is the assistant professor at the Jindal Global Law School, Sonipat. Dr. Thampi works in the area of food security, nutrition, employment, inequality, and gender. She completed her PhD in economics at Jawaharlal Nehru University, New Delhi. She has published journal articles and book chapters and contributes opinion pieces on contemporary issues. Prior to joining Jindal Global Law School, she worked at Initiative for What Works to Advance Women and Girls in the Economy of LEAD at Korea University, New Delhi, and the Center for Sustainable Employment, Azim Premji University, Bangalore. She is an affiliate of the Global Labour Organization, and her, and her collaborative work was awarded by the Indian Society of Labour Economics. It's an absolute honor of mine to introduce you to the discussant of the session, Dr. Priyanka Chatterjee, who is the Assistant Professor of the Department of Economics and International Business of the School of Business Studies at Shada University, Noida. He is the Assistant Professor at Presidency University, Bangalore, and Senior Program Coordinator and Data Analyst in Public Health Resource Society Network. She has also worked as a research associate in the Ministry of Commerce and Industry. I would now like to request the speaker of the session, Dr. Anjana Thampi, to provide a deliberation on the topic and enlighten us on the same. We look forward to learning more from them. Thank you. Thank you to the organizers at IMPRI for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to contributing to the discussion on, on the state of employment in India. Let me just share my screen. Yes, it's on. Okay. So, um, My presentation is titled State of Earnings in India, the Crisis and Equality Amidst the COVID-19 Pandemic. Um, so let me just start with um, this visual of the economic situation globally. 
Um, even as early as April 2020, the IMF chief called this the worst recession since the Great Depression. And you can see that um, the extent of contraction um, is even worse than the global financial crisis um, of 2008. And unlike the global financial crisis, uh, which affected advanced economies more, so the green line, um, and the emerging market in developing economies were uh, not as affected, uh, particularly because of the presence of China. Unlike that, um, with the health and economic crisis unleashed by the COVID-19 pandemic, it affected both uh, of these groups of economies. And as you can see um, from the estimates that the IMF has put forward, the world output contracted by 3.5%, uh, with advanced economies facing a sharper contraction of 4.9%, and emerging uh, market and developing economies facing a contraction of 2.4%. Uh, of course, that would be even higher if we were to take China out. And for India, the estimate is a contraction of 8%. Um, now, this is, of course, in contrast to the story that we know of India of being among the fastest growing economies of the world, particularly between 2003 and 2011. Um, of course, until the slowdown that started in 2018. But even with during and after that period of rapid economic growth, there were questions that were raised about how the benefits from that growth were distributed. And um, um, what about a structural transformation of the economy? And how has that growth not generated employment, um, decent employment in particular? And there were questions that were raised about this. Um, and that, of course, um, that has only those economic contradictions have only worsened with the slowdown and the recession that unfolded. So let's take a look at the labor market in India. And my presentation is based on co-authored work with Dr. Ishan Anand uh, in a forthcoming paper in the Indian Journal of Labor Economics. Um, if we look at the labor market in India, we know already that a large majority of the workforce are informally employed of an estimated 480 million people in the workforce from 85% or more, depending on how you define informality, would be defined as being informally employed, meaning that they're outside the ambit of job security and income-related social security nets. Um, and if we look particularly at the distribution, so when employment surveys capture the nature of employment, they tend to you know, categorize workers as belonging to three, to one of three broad categories, regular wage or salary, self-employed and casual workers. And if you look at these numbers, um, in 2018-19, 24% of the workforce were regular workers. A large majority, well, not a large majority, but more than half, 52% were self-employed and the remaining 24% were casual workers. Now, um, you know, when we think of regular workers, and of course that varies between rural and urban areas, rural areas, um, around 60% are self-employed. Of course, large majority there are engaged in agriculture. Um, in urban areas, 49% are regular workers. When we think of regular workers, we might have a picture in our mind of you know, IT professionals and so on. And it's true that it includes those categories of workers. 
but it, it's, it's an extremely heterogeneous category. And um, it'll also show you some figures which will make that point even clearer. But they are defined as being regular workers because they receive their earnings on a regular basis. But that doesn't necessarily mean, for one thing, that they have job security because it was only, um, uh, only about 30% of them had a written job contract in this particular year for which uh, I'm showing the data. And so, um, and that proportion of the of regular workers who had a written job contract has actually, in fact, decreased over time as well. So it's indicating that there's an increasing informalization of even this category of workers. Um, and even if we compare uh, the proportion of workers who are in such regular employment to other countries, other comparable countries um, in terms of different uh, indicators like China or Brazil, or South Africa or neighboring South Asian countries, the proportion of workers who are in regular wage or salaried employment is much lower than those countries. Um, around half of the workforce, as we can see, are self-employed. And um, so um, this, this has been true, so that a majority of the workforce has been in self-employment has generally been true. But in recent times, self-employment has been sort of seen um, as this answer to our job problem. That it's fine if jobs are not being created because what the youth of today want to do is apparently create jobs themselves. They don't want to work for other people. They want to apparently start their own business and hire other workers and in fact create jobs themselves. But um, that's not really what the data tells us uh, when we look at it. Um, so for one thing, most of these self-employed um, they work at a very small scale. They don't hire workers, they're own account workers, or else uh, they may be unpaid helpers in family farms or enterprises. And of course, as we might expect, there are gendered, the gen there's a gendered distribution even within that composition of self-employment because those who are own account workers or employers and have the ability to take decisions in that enterprise tend to be male. And of course, the those who are working as you know, they're working in their family farm or in their family enterprise, but are not really receiving a pay for it, um, are tend to be female and uh, might not necessarily be involved in the decision-making process as well. So, um, and the last category, of course, are casual workers. And these tend to be agricultural laborers, construction workers, uh, those working in Narega works, um, and uh, they might be working in multiple jobs, either at the same time or you know, at different times of the year, and might be engaged in uh, migration from rural to urban areas and engaged in different uh, nature of employment. And together, these, uh, the self-employed and casual workers constitute 76% of the total workforce. Now, um, let me take a look at one particular aspect in terms of the earnings of these three categories of workers. Um, now, it's true that these regular workers, of course, have higher earnings, as we might expect, as compared to um, the other two categories. But in spite of being the best paid, they actually have very low average earnings. If you were to look at, uh, that would be true if you were to look at the mean or the median. So if you look at the median, that's just around 10,000 per month. So that's just reinforcing the point that I made earlier that this category of regular workers are actually extremely heterogeneous. And um, 
if you look at these um, first two rows, that is, uh, so these are basically earning slabs, dividing the distribution of these workers um, along different slabs of earnings, of their monthly earnings, uh, as captured in the employment survey. And if you were to look at uh, the first two rows, find that around 42% of regular workers actually earn less than 10,000 rupees uh, per month. And um, as I mentioned earlier, there's quite a large proportion of them who don't in fact have uh, job security. So even within this category, um, although they tend to be better paid than the other two categories, it's extremely heterogeneous. And um, if we look at the other two categories, 92% of casual workers and 59% of the self-employed earn less than 10,000 per month in 2018-19. So again, uh, to reinforce the point that it's um, the self-employed um, are, you know, they are not necessarily job creators. They in fact have a large proportion of them, in fact, earn less than 10,000, uh, and in fact, around 80% earn less than 15,000 per month. And if we were to group all of these workers together across different worker categories, 63% of all workers in India uh, earn less than 10,000 per month. So this is um, you know, a contrast to broad, the broad narratives that we uh, hear. And, um, one additional point with reference to this is that, um, of course, the, you know, the gaps and the disparities that we see in society are in fact reflected in the labor market in a lot of different aspects in terms of the opportunities that might be available. Um, and here we're just looking at one particular aspect that is in terms of the earnings gaps uh, by gender and by caste. And one thing that we do know is that the female workforce or female workers within the overall workforce is a very small proportion, just around 18 to 19%. And that has in fact been declining over time since around the late 1980s. Um, and, um, you know, um, so there's one point uh, in relation to that, that even when we say that there's a declining proportion um, or declining female labor force participation rate, of course, there's correspondingly an increase in um, the proportion of females that are engaged in unpaid domestic and caregiving services for other household members and were engaged in unpaid subsistence activities. Um, so collecting water or firewood. So all of these activities, if someone else were to do it for you, who's outside the household, that would be counted as work. Uh, but it's not counted as work when it is a person within the household who's doing it. And so that, of course, is related to how work itself is defined in employment surveys and so on. Um, and there have, of course, been calls to redefine work to include uh, such activities as well. But even if we look only at those females who are officially recognized as working, in 2018-19, female workers earned 63% of male workers on average. Now, of course, disparities if you look at different worker categories. Um, and you'll find that that gap is highest if you look at the self-employed. So female, female self-employed earn only 43% of what the male self-employed do. And that, of course, is also related to uh, the composition of the self-employed. So how 
females tend to con uh, constitute a much higher proportion of unpaid family helpers within the self-employed. Um, the other point is, um, of course, the Indian labor market is highly segmented um, along caste identities. And um, workers who belong to the disadvantaged social groups tend to be overrepresented in jobs that pay less and tend to be uh, more demeaning or tend to involve more manual labor. And of course, we know that that extends to activities like manual scavenging, which could be done through technology, but tend to be done by uh, such workers in such groups. And even if we're looking across all activities and across all um, occupations, um, Workers who belong to scheduled castes earn only 55% of workers who belong to the relatively advantaged social groups. And here again, we see that the gap is highest when you look at the self-employed and lowest when you look at uh, casual workers. And so far we've been looking at levels, but let's take a look at trends. So if we look at the trends in real rural wages, um, and the year-on-year -year growth rate of real rural wages for agricultural wages and non-agricultural wages, um, we we'll see, we'll see that there's generally a rise between 2007 and 12, but after that, it declined sharply. And you'd actually find that in the year leading up to the pandemic and the lockdown, um, this has, in fact, that trend of declining wages has, in fact, continued. So um, we have to keep this in mind when we're thinking of the effects of the pandemic, because the workers who are actually facing the pandemic and the lockdown, the loss of employment, or not getting their wages or getting their wages very late, have already been in a situation where they've been, where their earnings has been declining in real terms. So they would have very low savings to turn back to. And if, if they've lost their employment uh, during the lockdown, then they have, uh, you know, they have a very uncertain situation uh, to think of, even, when, even after the lockdown was lifted, uh, considering the poor economic situation and the recessionary situation in the economy. And the reverse migration that happened during the lockdown is likely to have only uh, reduced those uh, wages even further. Let's also take a look at the organized manufacturing sector, which uh, constitutes a very small share of employment and value added. But nevertheless, this is an interesting uh, thing to take a look at, which is the share of wages and profits and value added as uh, contrasted with worker productivity. So uh, if you look at the share of wages in this sector, you'll find the share of wages, which is around, um, so that's the green uh, money, is around 17% in 1993-94 um, and it declined or roughly stagnated to around 13% by 2017-18. So even though you see that there's been a rise in worker productivity, that's been absorbed largely by uh, the profit share. Now, of course, this reflects inequality in terms of who is or which classes are benefiting from the gains in productivity, but that also has larger implications for uh, macroeconomic uh, processes and growth in the economy, because those who earn wages tend to also consume a larger proportion of their wages as compared to uh, those who earn profits. So that also has implications for um, 
larger macroeconomic processes. So uh, with all of this in mind, let's take a look at some indicators of the effects of COVID-19 pandemic. Um, as we know, the economy was already in a slowdown leading up to the pandemic. And with the pandemic and the lockdown, it um, sort of emerged into a full-blown recession. And um, during the lockdown from uh, data by the CMIA, the unemployment peaked at 24% and at least 21 million salaried workers lost their jobs. And um, there have been multiple surveys that have reported deep distress among large sections of the population and that have reported uh, loss of work and delayed payment or non-payment of wages in spite of um, broad instructions uh, to employers to actually pay their workers, even if they have not, uh, even during the lockdown. And um, there was this network of um, concerned citizens called SWAN, the Standard, Standard Workers Action Network, which uh, set up this helpline for migrant workers to reach out to them who were stranded, to reach out to them uh, if they were in distress. And that actually gives us a picture of the extent of distress among this particular category of uh, stranded workers. And in fact, of those uh, who had reached out to the SWAN network, 78% reported uh, that they had not been paid during the lockdown. And um, around 81% said they had not received the food rations that they're entitled to. And close to 50% said that they had less than one day of food rations left. And this is um, um, also in line with surveys, uh, so the Hunger Watch survey, for instance, which was collected by the Right to Food Campaign and the Center for Equity Studies. Um, in their surveys of vulnerable communities, what they found is that even months after the lockdown was lifted, so in September to October 2020, uh, there was reported decline in the access to food and in nutritional quality. So more than one fourth of their respondents said that they sometimes went to bed without eating. And um, around 70% said that the nutritional quality of their food had uh, declined. And we have to see this in the context of already extreme um, you know, uh, levels of hunger and malnutrition in the country, which has um, apparently worsened in several states as to the latest information. And so this actually has long-term effects. So it's not just the immediate effects of the pandemic. It actually has long-term effects, both for human development and in terms of uh, the workforce that we have in future. And let me um, put all of this together along with some indicators of the stark inequalities in the country. So um, while the pandemic and the lockdown and the recession were a blow in, at both the level of health and um, at the economic level for a large majority of the population in the country, um, 2020 seems to have been a good year for the 100 wealthiest billionaires in India. Um, and in fact, um, their combined net worth um, is reported to have increased by around 35% uh, between April and July 2020. Um, and the wealth of the richest Indian increased by 12.3 million US dollars uh, since the lockdown in March. 
while an estimated 1.7 lakh people lost their jobs every year in April 2020. Let me also put this, um, all of these um, earnings inequalities, um, along with inequalities in access to basic essentials. So all of these earnings inequalities are in fact compounded by stark disparities in access to very basic essentials. So 67% of the population in the country, that's around 905 million people, did not have access to pipe water in 2018. And 287 million people did not have access to a toilet in 2018. And this again has um, um, you know, disparities at the level of gender and caste, because it tends to be uh, uh, scheduled castes and scheduled tribes households tend to face a larger um, difficulty in terms of access to such basic essentials. And also when we're thinking of piped water, um, if a household does not have regular access to piped water, it's usually the female household member who has to travel long distances or wait by the tankers to get water for the household. So uh, these have larger uh, implications as well uh, at the level of identity. One fourth of the population lived in single room dwellings. So they had really no um, uh, room for physical distancing. Meanwhile, 5% of the population lived in dwellings with more than five rooms. And this is of course from survey data, which itself tends to underestimate the very wealthiest and the very richest households. Um, additionally, the pandemic imposed this um, additional uh, barrier in terms of attaining education um, because education now moved online. And so if you do not have access to a computer or a smartphone and an internet connection, then you may not be able to attend classes. And so um, the, it reinforced these disparities. Uh, the move to online education exacerbated these disparities in addition to which the economic distress that unfolded can actually increase dropout rates because those who lost their job or were not receiving their income may not be able to continue sending their children uh, to educational institutions. And um, also those students who are close to completion of their degrees and who are close to entering the labor market um, may now actually find it harder to find employment opportunities considering uh, the state that the economy is in. So let me just end um, with a few thoughts on the way forward and also this um, image of a word cloud that was uh, created by the Center for Global Development around the middle of 2020. And two of the words uh, that you'll see that correspond to India are food and lost. And um, in terms of the way forward, one is uh, the recognition that uh, the pandemic and the recession have actually exposed and deepened inequalities that were already existing. And it's in fact a crisis of inequalities along multiple dimensions in the labor market, in access to essentials, and in the access to education and health services. And so there have been several proposals for both 
to be implemented both on an immediate basis and on a longer term basis. So on, in, on an immediate basis, there have been proposals to, um, to, have, uh, to have a universal public distribution system, to have reasonable cash transfers, to extend and expand the employment guarantee scheme. Um, but over a longer term, we need to rethink um, the way that the economy is operating and think of a more equitable distribution of growth um, and about the generation of decent employment and about uh, universal public provisioning of essentials um, involving, uh, and this paradigm would involve uh, introduction of wealth and inheritance taxes uh, that, in, that would lead to a more equitable distribution. So there is uh, a need for a paradigm change that rethinks the existing uh, path and um, that rethinks our, um, our priorities, uh, particularly with respect to employment and essentials. So let me stop there. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Anjana Thampi, ma'am. So without uh, uh, any further ado, let me directly go to Priyanka. Can you hear us? Yes. Okay. Very good afternoon. Go ahead, Priyanka. Okay, uh, thank you very much, uh, everyone. Uh, Dr. Arjun, if I could say Arjun, uh, Anjana, and the entire IMPRI team for inviting me as a discussant. And uh, I must say, Anjana and I think Ishan, uh, very good and inter interesting and insightful paper. Would we'll be waiting for uh, this paper to be get published and read it. And given that you have already covered most of the points related to the current scenario of employment in India after this pandemic, I would just like to throw some insights, which I think you have already mentioned, but would like to uh, discuss some of the findings that I have got. And I think we will all agree to those findings. So first of all, I would like to say that I would, uh, This is a pandemic. What does this pandemic lead? Is the employment scenario in India was very good before the pandemic? The answer is no. And more importantly, there always has been a gender difference when it comes to employment. As uh, I think your paper already mentioned that majority of the workers in India are self-employed. And if we go into the data, we see that most of the self-employed workers are either own account workers or the unpaid family helper, as you have already mentioned. Now this, un even if we do a gender difference in this unpaid family helper and own account worker, we will find that it's majorly women who are the unpaid family helper. So very recently I have worked on this that, and my argument to this has been, so as per the time you survey data, the unpaid care work or the unpaid domestic chores work done by women is almost 10 times than men. So if I can correctly quote the data, it's sometimes 236 minutes for men and some 39 minutes for, uh, sorry, for women and 39 minutes for men. I might be wrong, but the data is in and around there. Now, is the unpaid work then ends for women at the unpaid domestic chores work? So for me, the answer is no, because this part of 
this women this section of women who are engaged in unpaid helper as unpaid helper those as nss calculates them in employment they are not employed per se because they are not getting any payment so they are as vulnerable as the unpaid as the women who are doing unpaid domestic house work so this is one argument which i have been posing for last couple of months that the burden of we always talk about women's burden of unpaid domestic house work but we never intend to talk about those women who are already doing the unpaid domestic chores work and are also doing working as an unpaid helper and nss are calculating them as employed so these are kind of pseudo employment for them without getting any payment and the situation for them is becoming worse and worse and as per one of the study by issst and one of the report written by shaini chakraborty in 2020 many women in delhi the survey was done in delhi for the delhi women informal workers they have reported a sudden increase in the unpaid domestic chores work after this pandemic because the male members who are you who used to go out for work are now at home so the workload of cleaning utensils washing clothes and other cooking food have increased the number of times they are doing are increased initially the earlier they might be doing it for two times now they have to do it for four times so the entire burden of this unpaid domestic chores work has been manifold on women after this pandemic so this is one aspect which i would like to reinforce apart from this as per the cmie data uh, the consumer pyramid household survey data it is the urban sector which is more affected due to the first wave of the pandemic than the rural sector so as per uh, the data it's the wpr the workforce participation rate in the rural sector declined by 27% which for the urban is 32% so now if we go into the urban sector we will see that the wpr was already not very high for women and for men it was there was already a huge gender gap we all know about it. and the unemployment rate if we talk about we all know that there has been a rise in the unemployment rate from 2004 5 to 2017 18 and then to 2018 19 which picked to 24% which you have already mentioned in your uh, paper or in your uh, presentation now what happened as the recovery part so when it comes to recovery it says after if i take the recovery part after may 2020 when we started unlocking when the national lockdown was actually removed partially and we started opening up partially from may 2020 to april 2021 59% of men and 5.6% of women the w sorry the wpr for men was 59% and for women it was 5.6% but what was the average before the pre pandemic level the average was 63% for men and 7% for women if i correctly say 63.7 and 7.3% so precisely we can say neither for male nor for women the recovery has been to that level and now after april 2020 we are again going back to another recession because of the second hit of the pandemic and apparently the second wave has also hit the rural sector because earlier the trend was if we see the sectoral changes the manufacturing sector the construction sector and the services sector if we go into this then the sectoral changes says that it's mostly the construction and the manufacturing sector which has faced the major employment crisis 
as compared to the service sector. But CMIE data gives a very interesting fact. If we see a percentage change in the manufacturing and the service sector, we will see, just, just allow me for one minute. Yeah, we will see that it's in the construction sector, within just a span of March to April 2020, it's just a one month, if not even a month, I think, it, the fall in the construction sector was by 87%, the employment fall. And for WIM and, sorry, and in the manufacturing sector, it was 41%, whereas in the service sector, it was 24%. But one interesting fact, when we see, sometimes we often say that the percentages are not the true reflector of, to see the employment scenario. So if we go into the absolute employment decline, we will see that CMIE again says that it's 13.3 million people who lost job in the construction sector in that one month. But in manufacturing sector, it's 8.6 million. But in the service sector, which apparently in terms of percentage, it's small, it's lower than the other two sectors, in the service sector, this is 20 million. So precisely when we go into the absolute employment decline, we see that within just a month, the immediate effect of the entire closure of the economy also affected the service sector. So we often wrongly say that the service sector is not affected. But what is the major reason of this major hit of the service sector? It's because of the huge informality. We know that, uh, as you have mentioned, that a huge portion of our, our organized sector, anyway, the Indian uh, employment is informalized. Now, given that, we all know that the service sector also have a huge portion of informal workers. Now, the major work that are done by these informal workers are, if I say, we say that the regular workers are the most secured form of employment, as you have mentioned. But who are these regular workers? For men, if we see PLFS data, that most of the regular workers for men are drivers, mobile plant operators, salesperson, personal service, travel attendant, housekeeping, in restaurants, doing clerical jobs, etc. So apart from the clerical job people, most of these people were badly hit by the pandemic because restaurants were shut, salesperson cannot go from door to door for doing their sales work, other drivers and how drivers or other domestic helps were all stopped over a month of uh, more than a month. So all these people were badly hit. When we go to women, the major five categories of work, again, as mentioned by one of the work of ISST by Chinese Chakraborty in 2021, which was, I think, published in Bayer as well. The major five kinds of informal category of work that are done by women are some home-based manufacturing work, which are so small-scale units work. And we know as per the Amit Basole paper, the small-scale unit manufacturing units, we all know were badly hit due to pandemic. Most of them are shut. And even if they could recover, they could not go back to the previous scale. Now, other workers are domestic helpers or domestic workers, and they were stopped immediately after the pandemic. Many households did not read it actually recall them after the reopening of the event. And now again, the second hit, 
most of the states, most of the societies again stop the domestic maids. So there are conditions where actually picking up a little bit. Now again, they are going back to the old scenario. And now we are waiting for the third wave or going into the same crisis again. The other workers are street vendors, waste pickers, and the construction laborers. So construction is one sector which was immediately shut after the pandemic. On 24th of March at night, when the pandemic, was, sorry, when the lockdown was declared, immediately from the next day, the entire construction sector units were stopped. Most of these construction sector unit workers are daily wage laborers or weekly wage laborers. So obviously they are the badly hit people because they, they could not work and hence they could not earn. So these are the major reasons for this badly hit sectors and the workers. And now as per the Amit Bas survey, as per the paper done by Amit Basole based on, and Survi uh, and Rosa Abraham, based on the CMIE data again, they say that there has been a recovery after the first wave, of course. But have these people been able to go back to the previous work they are doing? The answer is no. So if the data, if I can quote their data, they say that, just again, allow me just one minute. So the amount, some 44% workers who were earlier construction workers have now gone to the self-employment. Again, a large portion of the regular wage workers have now gone to the self-employment. And I think Anjana has already mentioned the scenario of self-employed uh, self-employed people in India. Their earnings are less. And when it comes to women's self-employment, we all know that they earn less than one third of the male self-employed people. They end up doing some own account work. That means they are not in a position to hire any workers because they cannot expand their businesses. They do not get any support, any credit, any credit facilities. They do not have any infrastructural facilities. If we uh, see the economic census data, we will be able to see that most of these entrepreneurs of women entrepreneurs of India who are mostly their own account workers do not have any of the basic infrastructural facilities, which is also a working paper by work, which is also a, one of the work that me and Shiny has done and is forthcoming from, uh, and is submitted in IJLE for their review. So these are the major crisis of employment scenario after this pandemic and another important fact is the wage. Now, since we are all waiting for the current PLSS data, we all know that CMIE data is not publicly available. We cannot access CMIE data because it's a hugely paid data. So we are eagerly waiting for the PLSS data to come so that we can analyze the change in the wage that has happened. As uh, Anjana has mentioned, there is already a gendered wage gap a wage gap among the caste. And if you go to the sectorals, you will also see a sectoral wage differences. That people and this gender wage gap also differs across sectors. If I can correctly remember, as per 2018-19 uh, data, if not 2011-12, definitely, manufacturing has a major gender wage gap. I think the highest gender wage gap in the non-farm sector. So we are eagerly waiting for the new data to come so that we can even see in more detail the COVID impact on employment in India. This is all from my side. If I have missed anything, I'm ready to cover that portion if I have answer to that. 
Thank you, everyone. Thank you for your patience. Thank you, Anjana. Thank you, Arjun. Over to you. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Priyanka. So, Simi, do you want to ask anything? Yes, I don't have to really ask, but I'll I want to make a few comments. So thank you very much, uh, Dr. Anjana and uh, Dr. Priyanka. Thank you uh, for making those wonderful remarks. So uh, I do not belong to economics and my comments are mostly um, concerned with the wider um, or broader uh, aspects of uh, gender disparities, which, uh, which yields into, into the societal framework. So uh, you have, um, Priyanka just ended with uh, saying that uh, we are waiting for the next round of uh, survey results. So, you know, we have been having these employment surveys and government policy documents on employment levels of women and men for a long time now. And even in slide, one of your slides, Dr. Anjana, you presented that female workers earn only 63%. So I think uh, this is this this gap is all has always been there. It has never been the other other way around. Uh, at least in so far as profitable or well-paying work is concerned. So hasn't my my wider concern is hasn't this disadvantage always been there? Or have we tended, or these documents, um, policy documents, have, have they tended to ignore the, uh, the, the traditional gender roles and uh, also the division of uh, labor, wherein it is the women who, who, have, uh, who have been made to make a trade-off between, uh, between the outside homework, which, uh, which is, of course, paid, and the unpaid home-based work, which Priyanka uh, mentioned in the beginning. And especially when women are in the childbearing age, um, you know, the, the workforce participation generally falls, it has been observed. And uh, even in, in hiring of the staff, it is generally in favor of men as organizations do not want to risk um, the absence of employees for a longer period of time in terms of maternity leave. And we also know that paternity leave is not at par with that of maternity leave, which further, um, uh, you know, exacerbates this uh, gender gender divide. Uh, my second point is about the disadvantage. This disadvantage, which we have been talking about, which is further reflected in the access um, to food and the nutritional quality, which uh, Dr. Anjana mentioned. Um, this, I feel that this is again a trade-off that women make in favor of their children and the men of the family. Uh, that only uh, after they have eaten that uh, they would they would eat so and the leftover is almost you know for the poorer sections especially is almost not sufficient to to take care of their balanced diet or even um, it cannot be called a healthy diet so to say so and this leads to further um, problems like developing self, several health issues um, and and also oftentimes several deficiencies and then this is this this further leads to um, great challenges for women, which we need to uh, focus because there is less amount of care and support at home, and outside uh, less amount of um, uh, less amount of affordable healthcare uh, facilities. Uh, you know, good good quality affordable access affordable healthcare facilities. So in in all this, I mean, I've just pointed out. Um, 
a drop of the challenges in the disparities against women but this actually only gets exacerbated and i feel that there is a little uh, silver lining inside so my question remains um, dr anjana has mentioned at the end that we need a paradigm change so my question remains as to uh, what is this paradigm change and for how long will we be asking for a paradigm change um, and when will this be attained i i mean this is just a very uh, crude question but uh, you know since uh, a long time we have been asking for it but uh, we are nowhere near that and uh, what can be the exact points as to this is the place where we require uh, massive change and massive attention so that uh, we at least have some silver lining so that is my uh, remarks from Thank you so much. Wonderful presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Samit. Swati has one question. Then we can go back to Dr. Anjana. Swati, you asked. Oh yes. Oh, uh, thank you very much uh, to the speakers for the wonderful presentation. Uh, I have few questions. So, uh, firstly, it's how much the guaranteed minimum wages they have been effective uh, during the lockdown, especially for the frontline health workers, uh, such as the ASHA workers, for whom uh, you know we have a uh, minimum guaranteed wages. And also for the uh, migrant workers through programs, government programs like Narigas. Yes, Swati. Next question. Yes, sir. Yeah. So then my next question is: uh, the pandemic has added the household burden of working women, which has led many of them leaving their jobs. Uh, since they are considered as secondary income earners, uh, which further creates employment gaps and loss of uh, income for families as well. So, what can be the way forward to correct such imbalances? We also have one more question uh, from Nagarajan uh, that, in spite of implementation of Manrega, why migration to urban areas take place, which create new urban slum and health settlement problems? So, those issues. Right, over to Dr. Angela. Yeah, uh, thanks so much uh, to everyone for the questions and uh, Priyanka, especially for her insights um, into particularly the gendered implications of uh, the pandemic. Uh, so let me just add on to some of the points and also answer the questions. Um, um, one thing is about, so Priyanka mentioned the sectoral changes, which also is, um, uh, so I agree, of course, in terms of both the urban-rural uh, differences, in terms of initially the urban areas being affected, um, and um, you know how that later uh, went on to rural areas, and also in terms of the sectoral changes. So that actually also has, maybe with the, what Pianka said, in terms of the chances for recovery. Um, because the composition, so for instance, in countries that have uh, a larger proportion of workers, who can work at home, uh, it's then possible for such workers to work at home and still uh, you know, continue to be employed and get their earnings. And of course, that's not the case, particularly for the sectors uh, like construction that Priyanka mentioned. So that's not the case for um, particularly for the informal workers that are, in, uh, that are, um, that, you know, to build the Indian economy. And so those sectoral compositions are in fact very important in terms of determining the recovery of economies and the differences and the disparities in the recovery of economies. So when we look at 
you know, those uh, broad estimates that the IMF gives us across economies, all of those uh, play in the backdrop of um, what constitutes that recovery. Um, also, um, Priyanka made a point about uh, regular workers. And uh, yes, I agree, of course, regular workers um, are, um, uh, I mean, they, they are an extremely heterogeneous lot. And as she said, it, um, even when we're thinking of regular workers, we might be thinking of professionals, but it actually also comprises of a lot of people who are engaged in elementary occupations and uh, who don't in fact have uh, job security or don't have very high earnings. It's just that they get their earnings on a regular basis. Um, and let me also just add on to, um, the gender implications that Priyanka, Simi, and Swati talked about. Um, so, of course, I agree that um, you know those earnings gaps we already had them um, from before. But um, I'd like to be a little more optimistic in the sense that I think just the fact of the recognition of those disparities is actually an improvement over earlier times. So. Um, and I think when we are speaking about it and when we're discussing it, that itself is a way of moving forward because that itself is a way of acknowledging that for people who may not have realized it or for people who may not be thinking about it consciously. So for instance, um, uh, in the uh, when macroeconomic policies were uh, devised, particularly in the 1970s, um, and structural adjustment programs, for instance, it was expected that the effect of that is, you know, it's uniform on the members of households. So the, the fact that the effects of those policies might be gendered was not really thought about. And it's in fact during the 90s with the work of many feminist economists and other um, activists, that in fact it was recognized that, so for instance, if you have austerity policies, if you're cutting down on public spending on health, for instance, that is then increasing the burden of unpaid work on women in the house. So it doesn't affect everybody. So if people in the household fall sick, then the, um, you know, if you don't have affordable health facilities to go to, then it's usually the women of the household who take on that burden. So the fact that we even realize this now is because of the work of several people who came before us. And so let me try and be a little optimistic that just by even talking about it or discussing it and working, uh, you know, and showing such facts that we might be working towards um, improvements, uh, of course, very, very slowly, but improvements. And um, uh, I think Swati uh, had also, you know, a similar, a second question was similar in the sense of um, the way forward uh, to correct these imbalances. And there's a broad framework as well that's been suggested, the three R's framework to recognize, reduce and redistribute unpaid work. So if we, um, you know, try and um, work towards having policies which explicitly recognize the gendered effects, um, then I think that itself is our small steps forward. And um, also the point on um, maternity leave policies, uh, which I think are certainly important, but again, keeping in mind the nature of the workforce in India, uh, if we have such policies, considering that the formal workforce is extremely a very small proportion in India, 
Uh, of course, we should have such policies, but we also need to try and work towards making sure that a larger proportion of the workforce can then have access to such policies, maternity leave and paternity leave policies, so that they are in, um, so, you know, the nature of the employment itself needs to be such that they can access such social security and uh, maternity and paternity leave policies. Um, of course, the point on food and uh, nutritional quality and women eating last and so on, those are all uh, extremely important points related to the intra-household distribution that we wouldn't really be able, I mean, that we know that these um, processes work within the household, but that we would never be able to fully capture. But again, that's um, in relation to the larger uh, gendered norms that I hope can we can work towards correcting slowly. Um, to Swati's question on guaranteed minimum wages, so of course, Asha and Anganwadi workers, all of them, they are not uh, getting the minimum wages because uh, for one thing, they're not uh, really uh, considered as workers, considered as volunteers and they're paid and honorary. And that of course is uh, another big issue that should be uh, taken note of, especially considering that with the pandemic, um, ASHA workers have, for instance, taken on a whole lot of other tasks like um, transporting vaccinations and so on. So they're actually taking on more tasks, but um, and yet their status as worker and you know being able to get wages is not really been recognized. Um, and um, I think the last question on Narega. Uh, so the Narega program is uh, basically an employer of last resort. Uh, last resort, it's an employer of last resort policies, it's the policy measure, which it's meant to give employment to households if they don't have other opportunities. So it's, and of course, through the multiplier effects, also then add on the uh, larger growth uh, in the economy. Um, but, you know, that causality of saying that and that's why, in fact, there have been proposals to try and expand that to urban areas and to provide this policy or to provide this employer of last resort policy to those in urban areas as well. But also uh, the proposals, especially uh, given by Yazin Fringe University, there are lots of proposals that actually um, span a wide range of areas, including programs that could be environmentally restoring. So it could actually achieve a wide range of objectives, um, not just providing employment. And there have been uh, these proposals that have that are made, and if they're taken seriously, they could actually achieve many other objectives as well. So yeah. Yes, so let me also ask a, a few questions. There has been, because there are different types of employment also we discussed, casual labor, self-employed and regular wages. Uh, one article I also wrote, uh, 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 blue, blue Collars Gray and other, other fancy title, because uh, there has been effect in all of them for casual laborers as you know, Narega, that program has also been extended during this period. And since we have crossed our second wave, the third wave is, you know, also 
uh, uh, just in front of us. How do you see that for the sector of also uh, self-employed? There has been PM Swanidhi, many other schemes also. Atmanibhar Bharat Rozgar Yojana came for uh, those in regular wage, but below 15,000 threshold mark, uh, Narega extended. A few initiatives also coming. How do you see uh, the effectiveness of policy in, in Pradhan Mantri Jandhan account also? We gave some money. To farmers also we are giving some money as universal basic income so for the talk today how do you see to reduce the inequalities especially in income uh, which measures can be effective and india is also very diverse huge and have different kind of population based on demography and work also migration and other questions coming what do you think will be some of the effective measures which our state governments can take to reduce uh, 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 the inequality, especially in earning, uh, to a minimum level, which, uh, you know, the question coming uh, again and again. Sunidhi, do you want to uh, ask anything? You have posted a question. Sunidhi? Yeah, yes, sir. Huh. Hello, ma'am. So I wanted to ask you a question, which is like the COVID-19 process to trigger havoc all over the world. And we know that countries are stumbling under the deadly the pandemic. And even India is losing grip over this. So what government measures should be taken, not only by India, but globally as well? And I have another question in mind. So um, so how effective minimum wage as a policy used for reducing inequalities in terms of earnings? Right. Yes, let us also make this also our way forward round also. So, uh, Dr. Anjana, if you can touch upon those and Priyanka can also take some of the uh, these questions and concerns. Uh, Dr. Shananand is also here, if you'd like to also chip in and add your points. So, we can start with Dr. Anjana, yes, as a way forward, how do we see in terms of policy and steps to be taken also by the state governments and our government in, in third way, yes. Yes, so um, um, I just touched upon them in the last slide, but um, I think, as I said, um, basically for one thing, recognition of these inequalities, both in terms of, both at the level of the labor market, but also in terms of access to essentials. And the way that we could deal with them, for one thing, through the, through the introduction of wealth and inheritance taxes, we saw that uh, bit about how, um, and there's a lot of additional information that we that compound that story of um, the very wealthy continuing to benefit even during the pandemic, while we know that there is uh, massive distress across the country. So that is one step that first needs to, at the policy level, gain acceptance and be pushed forward. And there have, in fact, been uh, tax proposals. So um, Sunidhi mentioned about uh, what could be done globally. So there have actually been tax proposals by international commissions as well, which also propose the way forward. So there are concrete proposals that have been put forward. Um, and let me, you know, push for that kind of a strategy. But also along with that, um, you know, we need to obviously understand the existing situation that the pandemic has exposed to us. Um, it's not that that crisis wasn't already there, but it's that it has made it much more blatantly clear uh, to us with the pandemic. So to take account of that and as a step forward, make sure that there is universal public provision of essentials like access to water, sanitation facilities, health and education facilities. So um, 
that is what I intended when I meant um, uh, a paradigm change in terms of thinking through what is already existing, but what could be done uh, actively to directly address those problems. Uh, so those are uh, my contributions to that and others can add. Right. Dr. Prinka, yes. So uh, I completely agree with Anjana and before uh, just going into any the policy thing, I would just like to mention one thing I think I, I, I'm like lost in who actually asked this question, so I'm not taking any name, but there was one question on uh, the minimum wage and the gender wage gap, which is, I think Simi uh, talked about it, that it's already on an average 63% gender wage gap is prevailing in India. Then why we are talking about another gender wage gap, uh, since I mentioned it, that we will be waiting. So the point of making, of telling it that we are waiting for another set of data to see whether the gender wage gap has actually increased or decreased after the pandemic, that is quite interesting to see because already when women are at a vulnerable state, we are saying that pandemic has added to it. And if we see that the gender wage gap has increased after this pandemic, then we are validating that statement first. Secondly, yes, I again agree to Anjana, talking, discussing and talking about all these inequalities sitting here today and in different forums are itself giving a recognition to the existing inequalities that are there. So likewise, I will just mention that we talked about, we talked about gender budgeting and at today's date in India, we are having this gender budgeting, which we do not have some one decade ago. So, this gender budgeting came because we talked about these inequalities and I'm hopeful that more and more we talk about it, more and more we will be closer to reduce the inequalities. I'm sure we, I will not say the use the strong words of eradication of this entire inequality. I think that is not possible. Or if even if that's a utopian thing, but at least we can aim towards reducing the inequalities. Now there was another thing of Asha and Anganwari workers, which actually Angana, uh, sorry, Anjana correctly mentioned that they are not workers as per the government mandate and there lies the basic problem of it. As per the government mandate, they are voluntary workers re receiving honorarium and they often receive task-based honorarium. That is the problem with majorly with the Asha and we often mistakenly or we consciously say them ASHA workers, but if we go to the mandate given by the government, they are never termed as workers, they are just ASHA. Now the amount of workload that ASHAs actually had and are having after the pandemic is uncountable. And we already, I think, we never talked about ASHA so much before this pandemic. We, when we try to search previous literature on ASHA, we failed to get ample number of literatures. Yes, there are, but we failed to get it. But once this pandemic hit, now we are talking about this frontline workers. We are at least recognizing this frontline workers. This is one important factor that we are having. And again, we are hopeful that the upcoming government policies will also take care of their wages and their honorarium that they are getting. Now coming to the policies, yes, of course, uh, the policies are, there are, I think Arjun mentioned that there are certain schemes and policies that the government has taken, like for the Atmanirvar Bharat thing, or 
uh, even there are mudra loans so that the mudra loan scheme so that the self employed workers can take some credit facilities and start their small scale units so i think more important is to institutionalize this credit system so that each and every person get the facility of this credit the problem in india or a country like india is if you go to the rural areas you will find many people do not have a bank account more importantly women do not have a bank account so when in a country like this we are talking about bank credits it really does not help the first and foremost thing is to have everyone to have a bank account and then to give a credit facility to them so the institutionalizing this entire credit facility is highly required that is what is coming to my mind now and i will like to have others opinion on this as well thank you no great so i think uh, this discussion can never end actually we can go on and on so it was a having very nice discussion on this topic we really touched arrays of issues so uh, let us now formally wind up and uh, dr simi mehta can propose a vote of thanks or uh, in case sanjana ma'am would you like to add anything no i don't have anything to add thank you for the right. discussion i really enjoyed it over, over to you simi yes uh, thank you so much and it was uh, really great learning from uh, uh, you dr anjana and also dr priyanka and um, yeah we at impri are in solidarity with uh, Uh, complete solidarity with gender equity and equality in terms of earnings and every uh, every other aspect of uh, human life so um, to formally provide uh, the vote of thanks uh, on behalf of the center for work and welfare at impri impact and policy research institute and counterview i take this opportunity to thank our speaker for the day dr anjana thampi for giving a wonderful lecture on the state of earnings in india the crisis of inequality amidst the covid-19 pandemic as part of the series the state of employment and uh, livelihood hashtag #employment debates and i would also like to extend my warm greetings to uh, dr priyanka chatterjee for uh, raising very pertinent points uh we have uh, really learned a lot and definitely uh, one of the um suggestions uh, from one of the attendees uh, we we will definitely put out uh, all the questions and also the event report on our website so please keep in keep uh, keep an eye on it and i would also like to thank um, um our uh, other panelists uh, sunidhi agarwal Uh, Swati Solanki, Ishan Anand, and uh, Dr. Arjun Kumar, and also uh, Anshula Mehta, for uh, being part of this uh, important discussion. And uh, please keep in touch. Uh, and we will. Uh, um, and and also thank you for um, th thank you to all those who have uh, attended here on uh, Zoom and Facebook Live, and also those who will be uh, watching us later on YouTube. So thank you so much, and hope to see you in the next events. Thank you and have a good day. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye.